Hello there my friend and welcome to the Ayurveda and Psychology podcast. I am Charlotte Skogsberg, your host for this podcast. I am enchanted to meet and to take you with me on this journey into the human psyche viewed from the holistic approach of yoga and Ayurveda and viewed from the modern man approach of clinical psychology and psychoanalysis. So have something nice to drink next to you, maybe a cup of tea, have a seat, or go out for a nice walk in nature maybe. Enjoy. In this episode, that will focus on psychology, I want to speak to you about this feeling of being unfulfilled that is lingering inside most of us. Now, this feeling of being unfulfilled is not constantly present, but I can say pretty confidently Probably most of us have experienced it at some point in our life. The reason I wanted to talk about this is because I was listening to someone who said he, he was speaking about the same subject and there was a phrase that stuck with me that I thought was really interesting. He said, the reason you feel unfulfilled is because you believe that you need to get a benefit from every action you take. So just sit with that for a second. And notice just how much that is true. How much our whole life is built on that. Just take one very simple thing into consideration. And that is how school is structured. We go to school to learn, to learn different kinds of subjects. And very early on, depending on the country, it's earlier or later, we are also being graded on how much we've um, how much we retain of the information, right? We get grades, whether it's going from zero to 10, to 20, or to five, or A, B, C, D, or whatever. It is still a way to say, this is where you're at. This is how much you've understood, okay? And then we're being obviously compared with our peers, with our classmates, with our brothers, sisters, and all of that as well. So it's a system of comparison. School becomes this thing where we go to learn and then we compare ourselves to others in order to know, well, to know what? To know if we are valuable, if we're worthy, if we are smart, but under no circumstances do we learn just because it's interesting to learn. We might start out that way and we might enjoy 
some subjects more than others is usually what happens, you know, when, when we start school and then our first couple of years in school, it's a typical question, what's your favorite subject in school, right? And um, you get all kinds of answers from children, maybe answers that will define something later on in life, who knows, but also they can be, you know, just anything depending on what they're interested in in that moment and, you, you know, what they think about their teacher and whatnot. But there will very often be a moment where you begin to question if it's interesting what you're learning, if it will benefit you or let's say, no, if it will serve you, that's what I mean, if it will serve you, right? And so in my memory and what I see around me, I usually get the feeling that that comes, you know, when we get a little bit more critical in our thinking. So somewhere between 12, 13, 14 years old, basically on our way into puberty and teenage years, when we begin to question most things anyway around us, our preferences, um, our identity, what we belong to, and all of that, that's also a time where we begin to often question if it will serve us to, you know, know algebra or all the floods in Russia and Asia, for instance. <laughs> and what we always get is the same answer, isn't it? We're not really, it's not really going to serve us maybe to know algebra later on in life. What will serve us is the grade that we get in math so that we can either A, go into a school after school, like a college or university, or simply just to get the job um, that we could also get straight after school if we want, for instance. It is a, there's a goal at the end, right? Of, uh, there's a, there's a heaven at the end of the tunnel with light at the end of the tunnel. So we learn this from very early age. This is how it works. And then throughout our whole life, everything around us reminds us of do this now. It's not necessarily making sense right now, but you will understand why one day. And it will serve you one day. So everything that we do, we do it for later on. And it's like the whole reason for insurance companies' existence, right? <laughs> And, and it's true. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that per se. Um, it's also a very good idea to think about the future, to make sure that, um, you know, that you don't get any uh, nasty surprises. However, what this does as well, and this is where it becomes much more challenging, is that it is setting our, it's setting us up for a way of existence that is never in the present moment. Because... What we learn is that we are supposedly doing things that might not actually make us feel very good. You might not enjoy them. And that does not matter. What matters is the outcome later on. And so we do all these things and we're not enjoying any of them. And then we're being told that that is good, that that is how it should be. I mean, work in itself very often is based on that same principle. And when we think about how much of our time is spent working, especially 
you know, even in school then, if we would take school and say that that is work as well. It's a quite a high percentage of our waking day that we spend doing things that we don't enjoy for the sake of some future promise. And then we have this idea, okay, so the future promise, I guess, that that will then be a certain number of things that we are told will be fulfilling for us. So that's the good job, or not even the good job, but the money that the good job will bring us so that we can buy certain things and so that we can then have that life that will make us feel at ease in general and happy and happy. That's the thing, right? And we will be happy. But we never practice the action, so the mental action of doing one thing and then being just with that one thing and even feeling completely fulfilled and complete in the moment as we're doing that thing. So how on earth can we think that once we get there, that we never really do, right? But once we get to some point where we acquire some of these things, that we are all of a sudden supposed to switch the way we function and instead just be with all these things around us that are supposed to make us feel happy and feel fulfilled in that moment. Which is, of course, what happens when we come to a certain age where we feel as if now we've done the things and yet we're not feeling the fulfillment feeling yet. We're actually probably even feeling quite empty. Well, because we're filling our lives with tasks with events, with missions that are just transactions for some kind of promised future. So naturally, if you go through your life year after year, just doing transactions, transactional things, it feels quite empty, doesn't it? It feels empty. And more specifically, we are completely disconnected to what the emotions tell us. So we're not enjoying the school, maybe we're not enjoying the work, we're not enjoying cleaning our rooms or whatever it might be. And our emotions are telling us you're not enjoying this, yet we're being explained. And then we don't need it to be explained to us anymore, because very early we understand it. Uh, we're good that way. We condition ourselves very quickly that it doesn't matter if we don't enjoy it, because we're doing it for some future reason. So then if we stop at one point and go, I don't feel very happy. Okay, what would make you feel happy? Well, I don't really know. Because then all of a sudden it's like, well, I've acquired those things. And I still feel unfulfilled. Because nothing really feels very real. Everything feels transactional in my life. I'm never I, I'm, I don't even know what it means to be present. When people talking about, you know, mindfulness or being here now, it sounds like bumper stickers. It sounds like positive affirmations on an Instagram post. It doesn't feel real. Of course, it doesn't feel real. It could be said in Greek, Chinese, in whatever language you don't know. And it would be the same thing. You don't understand it. And I see this with people that I work with constantly. I would say that the biggest issue underlying everything in our frustration with ourselves and life is that we don't know how to feel. We don't know what emotions are really. We probably hardly even know what sensations are because we're so disconnected from ourselves. It's like when I spoke about self-image. We build up this image of who we are, this identity that we take on and that we then practice for many, many years. It becomes the filters of the glasses that we wear as we are observing, perceiving reality. And 
the day that we begin to deconstruct that, we have to also understand that the deconstructing of that perception, the unwiring of the neural pathways that we've created there, is not going to happen overnight, especially if we're well into adulthood. So it needs to take quite a lot of time and we need to have the patience with it. And it begins with things as simple as tuning into sensations in the body. And of course, I would say that the best way is you sit down in meditation, for instance, you close off as much as you can of your senses, which means that you keep it silent, you do it somewhere where you're not disturbed, you close your eyes, and you stay still, and you're sitting comfortably. And then you're just being there with your breath. You have one object of meditation so that you don't start to daydream and go somewhere else in your mind. You have a simple reminder of being here and now, which could be very often just focusing on the breath. And what happens is that you begin to notice that there's actually lots of stuff going on inside of you. You have so many sensations constantly. You can only, of course, really notice them when you allow for yourself to tune into them, which means to not have distractions around you. So just feeling begins really with that. And then we need to interrogate ourselves as well on how we are doing. And what I mean by that is to question, why am I thinking the thoughts that are in my head right now? Why am I acting that way in this situation? And not to be caught up in the everlasting, I don't know, because I don't know, can only ever be true when we don't have the information about something, except that when it comes to yourself, well, there is no one else who can have the information than you. So that means how you feel about something, how you think about something, how you speak about something, how you act about something. There is only you who have the information. And when you begin to then kind of dig into that, when you, need, when you begin to unpack it, like I like to say that, we use that word. When you unpack the feeling, the thought, the action, not only do you find the reason and you tap into, oh, this is where it's coming from, but you also begin to notice that there's actually a whole world in there. You know, it's never empty. It is never empty. There is always something going on. We need to begin with that work and we need to practice things like this quite regularly over some time before we become familiar with it so that when we become familiar with it, it becomes a habit. And when it becomes a habit, it can become our pattern of behavior, which means we can then use this same tuning into what is going on with us in other situations outside of that moment that we've set off for it. 
and that is how we begin to practice being fully present in every task that we are doing and being fulfilled in that moment because all that actually is, is that moment. And it takes on a meaning all of a sudden to do anything, to hold a pen in your hand, to put it down towards the paper and to use it to write words that describe what is going on in my mind as I'm thinking or to do the dishes and feeling the water mixing itself with the product, creating bubbles and then slowly taking any traces of food away from the plate. And all of a sudden, the moment isn't empty. It never was empty, but you were not there. One of the best ways, if you can, when you begin to work on these kind of things, is to be able to have a sounding board, is to be able to have someone who can work with you to begin to unpack what is happening. And that is, of course, what the psychologist or the therapist or so is there to do. We don't all have that option for many reasons. And when we don't have that option, creating a morning routine that is completely and highly individual is essential. A quiet time in the morning set off just for you for meditation, journaling, movement that can then be, implement, be implemented into the Ayurvedic lifestyle so that we use the whole cleansing moment in our routine as our mindfulness practice. All of a sudden, it does not become something that you do on top of everything else that you actually have to do. It becomes essential for you to then be able to be fulfilled in the day. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this podcast and this episode. I am very grateful. If you enjoyed this and you think that other people could enjoy this, please help me to spread the word. Share this episode on any channel that you have of social media or messaging. And even more so, I would really appreciate if you know one other person who might benefit from my words today specifically. Take that one minute it takes to simply share this episode with one person. Remember that there's a human being on the other side of your phone, of your earpods, of this microphone. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what I've been talking about. So please leave a comment. Send me a message directly if you wish. This is Charlotte. This is me. See you next time. Namaste. Namaste.